Hello, and welcome to this week's episode, or month's episode, or something <laughs> of a Center Trail podcast. It's a comeback. <laughs> or don't call it a comeback. I don't remember what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I'm Tara. I'm John. And we're really happy to be here with you. The semester has has buried us. We are we are just <laughs> mere ghost-like shells of our former existence. Oh, <laughs> I had lunch two hours late today because I was talking to students about their papers. Oh. Which is fine, you know. I have two students who shall not be named and who I'm thrilled <laughs> to be working with. Uh, but they have gone down a strange research rabbit hole and they keep coming to my office looking for new ways to discover the history of Center's ID numbers on oh, their little wow. swipes. Yeah. I applaud their independence and their ingenuity. Have I told you before how we used ID numbers at University College Cork? No. You didn't put your name on your paper. You put your ID number on your paper. Mm -hmm. You didn't put your name on anything that you handed in to be graded. Mm -hmm. Much like the ancient uh, or the medieval Chinese civil service exam, the idea was that the person grading it couldn't be swayed. Not that I was swaying anybody or that any my TAs <laughs> cared who I was. But we didn't put our name on anything. I tried it once at Center and it was hilarious because it was like, I know who all these people are. <laughs> like, like a paragraph in, like, yeah, this is, this is John, you know. <laughs> Well, who knows? Perhaps they will have an interesting story for us someday. I'm sure they will. <laughs> um, so we've had a busy and exciting fall here on campus. It's November now, like practically the middle of November, and mm. we only have a few weeks left. Next week it's a full week, then it's Thanksgiving, then it's one full week, then finals week. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm only just now realizing that I've got two full papers plus a final to grade in my survey. People also just realizing this, my survey students. But anyway, this is kind of... <laughs> this always happens to me that stuff gets really, like, backed up towards the end of a semester. It, yeah, it really I'm, happens. I'm so, I'm so worried about overwhelming them early. I probably need to get over that. So we had a great time over homecoming, um, meeting with some of our alumni. Uh, we've had a couple of nice and successful events with our students on campus, including last week we had a nice little... Um, Halloween celebration mm -hmm. full, filled with center ghost stories. <laughs> this doctor did a very, very good job, unsurprisingly. The students are impressively concerned about the, the, the Breck Hall ghost. <laughs> um, so we, we really have had a great kind of semester of collegiality with our students. Up on the blog are Peyton. Our intern has done an awesome job. Thank God for Peyton. Yes, if you're listening, Peyton, we love you. <laughs> um, and so she has some great stuff up there, everything from the Hollywood sign to the space race, um, and I, we highly encourage you to go check it out. And uh, Dr. Tubb just uh, wrote a post yeah. as well about his book, yeah. which I definitely recommend. Yeah, a fascinating it is, tale. It is. It will make you want to buy his book. Yes. <laughs> and then you should go and do that. You really should. <laughs> um, so we are... Hopefully, are going to have a few more podcasts for you before the end of the semester. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and then we will head off onto our winter break, and I'm not sure what we'll end up doing during center term. We'll kind of have to wait and see. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Something about bridges and crossing them yes. when you encounter them. Yes. Um, we will figure that out. But for today... <sighs> We are going to take a cue again from the calendar, and we're going to talk a little bit about Veterans Day or Armistice Day mm -hmm. um, and think about how um, internationally 
mm-hmm. soldiers are remembered. Yes. So the part of the world where I come from... And, um, what, and what part might that be? It's this little place, <laughs> it's this little island called Ireland. Um, a small corner of which is still, uh, you know, technically occupied by the British state. And so across the sea, our neighbours, at this time of year, they like to wear poppies. Um, this isn't a thing in the US, right? The poppy? Not really, no. Yeah, it's a big thing in Britain. So yeah. like, if we were in Britain right now, um, there there would be plenty of professors walking around wearing the poppy. And it's and it's interesting because it's kind of a formal wear thing, right, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. So, it, 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 you know, not that it's, I know I'm not trying to talk it down, but, you know, for example, um, sportscasters are all wearing poppies right now in Britain. Like, because, you know, cause, you know that, that kind of, that studio vibe with sports yeah. events where they're kind, they're in suits. They or are always in suits. Sports casual yeah. at, at worst. Um, so it will be very strange this time of year not to have a poppy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you walk into a corner shop in Britain um, and there'll be a little jar full of poppies and you can pay a pound to get a poppy and it goes to these veterans charities and stuff. Um, some sports teams have kind of kind of affiliations with military branches and stuff. There might be a little bit of flag rolling and stuff, which isn't a common thing in Britain usually at sporting events. But this time of year it'll happen. So I was watching a soccer match with my son at the weekend, and there was a there was a, a man in full dress uniform blowing a bugle. This never happens um, at British sports events usually. Um, so so yeah. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. So yeah. do you think that is because there's less? Um, association of sports with nationalism or is it just that it's done in a different way um so soccer in particular is a really interesting one in britain because um soccer was always like a working class thing and then starting in the early 1990s it became a middle class thing and now it's kind of both and and those those boundaries aren't really what they used to be and so we'll probably talk about this in a minute as well but like so much in britain about relationship with the military is kind of tied to your class as well because for such a long time, until very recently, the officer class in the British military came from the same families they'd been coming from for hundreds of years. So literally, all the officers, like there's two secondary schools in Britain, Eton and Harrow. They're all boy, all male boarding schools. And all the officers in the British military until like the mid to late 20th century had gone to one of those two secondary schools. Not even that it's, you know, elitist by the college you go to. <laughs> it's the secondary school you go to, um, uh, what the British call public schools, by which they mean private schools. Um, so so I think, so there's a very interesting kind of thing going on there, I think, in Britain versus kind of a, a class kind of orientation. So it's not something, you know, um, I think that it's challenging in Britain and in Ireland too to try and convey this kind of militarism stuff you have to tread, I think you have to tread quite carefully. In the US, you don't have to tread carefully at all. Like, if you look at the representation of the military in the NFL, everyone's into it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I used to go and watch Texas games all the time when I was at Austin, and, like, fighter jet flyovers would happen oh, once yeah. a season, and it was all exciting. And, you know, there are people in Britain, and definitely people in Ireland, if we even had fighter jets, which we don't, um, <laughs> you'd have to be careful. If you, if, you, if you decided, if an owner of a soccer team in London decided... He was going to have this guy in uniform every single game and it had never really happened before. It would make people feel icky mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think it makes Americans feel icky. No, we like it. At all. Generally. You're into it in yeah. a way that, that confuses people who aren't American sometimes. Now, I say that. I say that's from my part of the world. There's other parts of the world that are similar to the United States in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the poppy is an interesting thing. So, so and, and wearing a poppy is just kind of a, you know, it's just a way of showing that you're observing, I guess. So there's two prominent cases right now of soccer players who are refusing to wear the poppy. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm trying to think because they actually, they have these special editions of the jerseys now with like the poppy as part of the jersey. So they actually have to wear separate jerseys. They don't have the poppy in it. So you really have to make an effort to opt out. Um, <laughs> one is James McLean, who's very unpopular with a certain kind of British person. He's Irish. Uh, he grew up in a city called Derry, which is part of Northern Ireland, technically, or part of Northern Ireland, really, which makes it technically part of the United Kingdom. And Derry has a very long history of Catholics being abused by Protestants. I'm interrupting here to say yeah. that uh, certain people would call it London Derry. Yeah, but that, that's incorrect. So <laughs> London Derry is not the correct name for that city. So I'm sorry. That's just, that's, I'm, I, know. I'm, I will I'm, not concede. I'm hoping that our, our, re, our listeners can kind of, <laughs> I'm trying to help them see what the split might be here. Right. So, no, it's a good, it's a, it's good. So <laughs> James McLean is another guy who would really have a problem with it being called London Derry. And he's from there. Um, Derry, Derry, Derry's soccer team and the club soccer team joined the Republic of Ireland League, even though it's not in the Republic of Ireland in like the 1980s. This is like a big, like Derry is, Derry Catholics are for real. Like they're not messing around when it comes to, to nationalism and stuff. <laughs> And, you know, and it's been the site of the British Army used to be stationed in mm-hmm. Derry and stuff. So McLean takes the position he's just not going to wear the poppy. Um, and I, in fairness, joking aside, I can completely see why this frustrates some English people. Um, I have a very good English friend who makes the entirely valid point. He makes his living here. He makes thousands of pounds a week mm-hmm. kicking a ball around a field. I feel like the least he could do would be polite because that's the logic is, well, this is polite. You're being right. rude. But also there's a disconnect there, right? Which is my English friend refuses to... For McLean, the poppy represents military aggression. Right. For my friend, it represents people who died on the fields of Flanders, which is where the poppy comes from, the mm-hmm. end of World War One, and also people who died fighting Hitler. Um, and the two people aren't coming together. It doesn't help that McLean is particularly aggressive about this. Ross Bromwich Albion, his team at the time, came over to the United States to play a friendly in the summer a couple of years ago. And, and they played anthems, which is not something that happens in British sporting events either. Um, they played the national anthems. They played the English anthem for West Bromwich Albion and McLean refused to look at the flag. So he's kind of a, you know, he's making a point of it. The other guy is Serbian. Hmm. The other guy who's refused to know the poppy is Serbian. And he is not the object of vitriol at all, I would argue, because he's not Irish. Um, but it's interesting. It's interesting because... His argument is that uh, he feel, you know, he's from Serbia yeah. and that Serbia was bombed and attacked by NATO. I actually find this fascinating because Liverpool just played a game in Serbia, my team Liverpool, and wouldn't bring a player of theirs who is Swiss, who is Swiss but of Albanian descent because it would be too controversial. And their language was, we must respect all viewpoints. Hmm. I don't know how sympathetic I am to the Serbian viewpoint in the Yugoslavian conflict of the 1990s. For those of you who don't know, it involved rounding people up of certain ethnic groups and yes. murdering them. So so it's interesting to me that James McLean is this villain. Mm-hmm. I, I get why he is a villain. I'm not, I'm not here to argue for James McLean. But it's, frankly, he doesn't always help himself. But he's a villain. But then this Serbian guy, who arguably has less of a case, depending on how you look at it, uh, it just kind of, it just kind of, it kind of gets given a pass. Now I say that it's early in the month; it could become a more dramatic thing than it currently is. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- but that's that's interesting. But they're the only two I know about, and both have made news in Britain because every other athlete, yeah, in the biggest sport in Britain, which is soccer, every other athlete is wearing the poppy. Isn't even going there. Isn't even th- you know. Isn't even. There's just no issue. Or if there is an issue, they're not they're not choosing to 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 get assertive about it. So that that's fascinating, and especially thinking about how just 
culturally pervasive the poppy is to English people. And mm-hmm. I fully admit, I, mean, I know the um, In Flanders Field poem and I mm-hmm. understand the history of the poppy, but I mostly know about it <laughs> because I might follow royal celebrity news. <laughs> <laughs> and every year, um, especially in England, obviously, but Americans mm-hmm. love themselves some royal gossip. And... Um, the outfits and the poppy wearing for mm-hmm. the royals is a big deal in the way that they talk about it. And it is um, the, the pictures that are taken and the way that they describe, especially what the women are wearing with the poppies, um, is always very much like, are they doing right by British culture? Ooh, wow. And so what I find really fascinating is for the first time, right, a major member of the royal family uh-huh. is American uh-huh. and it's going to be her first poppy wearing experience, probably. <laughs> um, right, the Duch- Duchess of Sussex, uh, uh-huh. Harry's new wife, Meghan Markle. Um, and I didn't even know her title, by the way. Good work. <laughs> that, that is because you are not an American who follows royal celebrities. She'll always be Meghan Markle to me. <laughs> Uh, but one of the things that some of these um, like celebrity sites or royal news sites have kind of commented on is this is kind of interesting because Americans mm-hmm. don't have a culture of wearing the poppy. I mean, every once in a while people kind of try and some people do, um, but this is this is certainly not something anywhere close to the way that the English right. um, participated in. So there's been a lot of speculation like how is this going to work? Is she going to know? Right. Or is she just going to know? Somebody's going to tell her. Right. Um but, you know, is she going to know? Is she going to do this the right way? Yeah, I yeah, think that's yeah. a really interesting commentary on how the English view the poppy wearing. And, you know, it's, it is nationalism. It is cultural. Uh-huh. It is polite, as you said. Yeah, when I think of it, a poppy in, on, on men's clothing, it goes on your lapel or in your dress pocket. Yeah. Those are the two places it can go. And it's just funny. I think for women, it's similar. It's going to be somewhere up there, like a brooch, right? It's yeah. going to go in a similar place. That's yeah. going to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I um, uh, but you know, it's interesting compared to the U.S. Then, like in current day practice, the idea that in Britain you'd walk up to somebody you identified as a veteran or somebody in uniform and shake his or her hand and thank them for their service is just a completely alien concept. Like that does not happen. Now, I come, by the way, so I come from a very small country that doesn't have poppies because we weren't in World War One because we were neutral, and we don't really. Well, it's rude to say that we don't have an army, but we don't have an. Um, well we do we have one but we're just you know and and the Irish men of Irish soldiers have died uh, especially for UN peacekeeping missions so I I shouldn't be quite so smarmy about it Um, so Ireland and America are two very different versions of countries that don't do something like that Ireland because there's just an absence of military practice (laughs) but in the US you just do it differently yeah, and it's sort of interesting to look at. I mean, so the poppy um, is in celebration of Armistice Day, the mm-hmm. end of World War One, um, and which is a hundred years this year. Which is a hundred years this mm-hmm. year. Um, in America, this the recognition of this day really started in 1919. Then um, Woodrow Wilson kind of made a proclamation, um, and there were celebrations for this pretty regularly. And then at the one end of World War II, um, a soldier kind of said, why Why is this limited to veterans of World War One? We should celebrate all the veterans of World Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it started to expand. But America already had a celebration to honor soldiers who died, right? They already had Memorial mm-hmm. Day. Mm-hmm. And um, the fourth... and when does that come in? Sorry to interrupt. When oh, does Memorial Day come in? Um, so Memorial Day is a post-Civil War holiday. Okay. Um, and it 
it too is kind of interesting because at first it's decoration day um, mm-hmm. and it's where you go to these graves and you decorate them with flowers. Mm-hmm. So there's already sort of a flower tradition mm-hmm. um, surrounding how you take care of dead soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, so America already had one holiday to honor fallen soldiers and then they create, they start to celebrate Armistice Day and it is well celebrated um, between the World Wars and after World War II. Hmm. Um, but but increasingly, the 4th of July was also um, a day where you at least kind of recognized people who had fought and so, so celebrated soldiers in a way. Right. And so on some level, America started to sort of have a, a lot of those kind of holidays. <laughs> and um, Armistice Day, they start calling it Veterans Day after World War II. And mm-hmm. Veterans Day suffered... From a few things. The first is it was tied to a date. It was tied to November 11th. Um, and so it was made a national holiday, but when that falls on a Saturday or a Sunday, Americans get a little bit out of shape because they want their holiday. <laughs> um, and so in the 1960s, the federal government moved to make several different holidays permanent Monday holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is why President's Day is on a Monday. Mm, Labor um, Day. Labor Day is on a Monday. Mm-hmm. They they kind of they it's the uniform Monday um uniform Monday holiday act mm-hmm. and Veterans Day becomes one of them and so it becomes tied to the end of October the the last Monday in October I think mm-hmm. and um it didn't really work very well right <laughs> because the meanings of all the of the holidays start to get all mixed up is this about honoring Armistice Day the end of World War One is this about veterans well we kind of already have holidays for those mm-hmm. um. And so then it they, this is one holiday where they sort of remove it from that Uniform Monday Act, mm-hmm. and they put it back on November 11th, and they just kind of deal with it. Well, so the long and short of it is that today, approximately only 20% of Americans get off for Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of Americans are continuing work as usual hmm. on this holiday. Um, and Election Day is a federal holiday, uh, kind of. <laughs> um, and it also has just happened, right? That's right. the second Tuesday um, of November. Mm-hmm. And so there have been several commissions now, federal commissions, that have said that these two holidays should be merged into one um, huh. holiday. Um, that, that this is holiday glut. That's interesting, though, because that would make a real statement, wouldn't it? Like, it really would. Uh, election Day being the same day as Veterans Day would be an interesting statement. I'm, yeah. That some people would really like and some people would feel strange about. Yeah, and it, it it almost suggests that it doesn't really matter what you're celebrating. What matters is everybody needs a day off yeah. this time of year. Yeah, well, Americans need more days off, <laughs> says the European living in America. Um, I think this is really interesting, though. This is such a great, I think, such a great illustration of how what historians do is being a very interesting thing because I do think a lot of Europeans write Americans off. And I think a lot of Europeans are guilty of doing this. There is there is a lot of snobbery in Europe against the US. Really? Um, there is. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of Europeans kind of go, oh God, they love their flag, don't they? Like I was teaching a class recently and I was talking about the flag in Britain. And in, in the flag in, in Britain, the flag is a very class-oriented mm-hmm. thing. You're much more likely to see flags on some, outside somebody's front door in a working-class community than in an upper-middle-class community. Right. In fact, in an upper-middle-class community or a middle-class community, it would be considered quite gauche. And it's like, oh, God, why would you do that? So they then extend their attitude to the Americans. Oh, God, they love their flag, don't they? So when I was explaining to my class, and there are British people, in fact, who happily put the flag outside their door, 
But one student said, but I thought they thought that was terrible. It's like, they do say they think it's terrible. <laughs> um, but but it's interesting because, so so similarly, there's kind of, oh God, thank you for your service. Oh God, they love their military. Oh God, they're so into it, da 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 da. But you just started to sketch out, there's actually an historical background to this. Yeah. And like, and I was just, I'm going to tee you up here again in a second, because before we started recording, I was asking you, you know, I was just thinking about this. The poppy, as you say, so the poppy references the fields of Flanders, right? The end of right. World War One, and it's just it's, it's a beautiful and awful image of, of World War One and what happened. Um, and I feel like the 20th century, especially in Europe at least, or in Britain, certainly marks like we're going to start commemorating like regular people who went and served and died. Right. Whereas before that. I, I'm sure I'm fudging the numbers and people could immediately correct me. But before that, it's like, you know, Nelson's Column and Trafalgar Square, like the Napoleon Napoleonic mm-hmm. Wars, which yeah. in fairness were an entire century before World War One. But there, at some point, there's a transition from we're going to memorialize the top guys who died slash honor their victory, which I think is kind of really what's happening, mm-hmm. um, versus let's reflect on people who we've lost. And, of course, the narrative of World War One, which 100 years later is really being challenged very aggressively now, you know, lions led by donkeys, right? right. That these brave yeah. men were led to the front by fools. Um, I think that narrative helps lean towards the idea that we need to reflect on war as something bad. Not that it wasn't always seen as something bad. And, of course, the increase of, of deaths in World War Two only mm-hmm. amplifies that. And so it becomes yeah. this horrible, regretful, terrible thing. And then I asked you about that and you were saying but in the u.s it's it's it, it's, it is a yeah. there's a different history there yeah um so this i i think you're absolutely right this idea that um memorialization for battles and stuff it, uh, in europe are very much about battles and leaders and not kind of the average person in america right again Memorial Day comes out of the civil war um and there are instantly all kinds of like you know, clubs and organizations for veterans um, and this idea that all the people who fought for this were noble, although that gets challenged based on which side you were on. (laughs) But even before that, um, the idea of all soldiers being honored exists. Um, The American Revolution, because the idea is that it created something new, something about equality and freedom and that America was this classless place, um, from... Early, not immediately. Immediately afterwards, it's it's the leaders who sort of get remembered, right? There's Washington, everything, <laughs> um, and other, especially political leaders, get honored. But by the time this first generation of revolutionaries are die, or this generation revolutionaries are dying and getting older, mm-hmm. um, they start to at least be interested in honoring um, revolutionary the soldiers like the common soldier and so Mm -hmm. um there's an effort to like go around and interview some of them or to get them to stand up in their little towns and to like Hmm. tell people what what it was like when america was becoming um and this idea that common soldiers made america then sort of at least mostly always existed so i actually have a question i didn't think of earlier because i had made the point um we can we can overstate this, but North America is a more fluid society in the 1700s mm-hmm. than Britain is, like right. for sure. Definitely. There's just the class restrictions are there in Britain that just aren't in North America, right. certainly not to the same degree. Right. I mean, there's there's I guess people are wearing wigs and they call themselves English with a capital E, but 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 there's a lot of social what we now call social mobility, although we yes. probably wouldn't want to call it that. Yeah, in 1770s. But a thing I didn't think to ask you is there like a state building purpose to this? Is there any kind of 
overt or even tacit kind of attempt to create a shared ideology here? Is that behind honoring kind of the regular soldier guy? Oh, like yeah. what's going on there? Absolutely. Um, so like a super, I'll try to be a super quick answer here. Um, the soldiers that fought during the American Revolution, at first kind of everybody signs up, but really quickly it becomes kind of young, poor men, mm-hmm. and they're fighting mostly for the opportunity to be given land. They're, that's pr- more or less what a lot of them are being paid in is like, if we win, you'll get some hmm. land out west. And they, spoiler alert, most of them never get this land. Right. Um, and the pension system is a mess. Um, lots of revolutionary soldiers aren't really treated very well afterwards. Um, really have to fight um, to get what they were promised. But um, the idea that America was founded kind of with equality and by everyone, right? Let's ignore all the loyalists and pretend like everybody (laughs) in the 13 colonies was supportive and involved and um, is a big part of trying to make America look like a European nation in the early Mm. American Republic, right? After 1789, Mm -hmm. um, you need to, there's a kind of a, a... an effort to show how united everybody was and continues to be. Um, what happened in 1789? That's the Constitution. The Constitution. <laughs> See, I, I should have known. I knew it. I should have been more confident. <laughs> yeah. It's all an act, everyone. This is just my way of, it's my radio uh, interviewing stuff. <laughs> um, so I think this is an interesting conversation to have and sort of think about because we tend to look at the way that the culture we're raised in um, Mm -hmm. honors people and celebrates as the default. And one of the things I think we see here is just how complicated Mm -hmm. memorialization and celebration is, um, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I feel pretty lucky to be part of this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I think what, what comes to me from what you've been talking about, the American experience, what's interesting to me, you know, this impulse, like why do we only do this once a year? We should do it all the time. That seems to have happened. I know it's a lot more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And I know that kind of the relationship between the American public, and the American military has got, has, has a lot of ups, has a lot of, well, I don't want to say ups and downs, but I know it's an interesting relationship since 1945. Even. Yes. Yeah. Um, but still, I find that kind of interesting. Uh, whereas I, by no means would I argue that, for example, British people don't care about people serving the rest of the year. That, that That's not fair. It's not accurate. Um but they seem very comfortable with this is the month. Um, um, and it works the other way too, right? Yeah. It's nice to kind of have a sense of like, okay, we all know this is the month where we all kind of yes. make the effort. It doesn't mean we don't care otherwise, but this is the month. Um, yeah. And I guess across the world, there's kind of, you know, varying practices. Um, and of course for Britain, so much, although Armistice Day, of course, is a World War One event, so much of their present day identity is we survived World War II against right. the odds. And there's a lot going on there. That for example, the Philippines or Taiwan, mm-hmm. you know, two countries that I know as well. <laughs> Japan even, well Japan obviously has a hugely conflicted relationship with yeah. World War Two, obviously. You're just not going to see the same dynamics in those places. Right. And certainly it's nice to have a a month. And definitely American identity, um, in part or American nationalism is reinforced by sort of a, a frequent um and uh, public acts of of recognizing the military, mm-hmm. um, but clearly America also sort of struggles with this because um, because people keep saying that we should fold Election Day and Veterans Day together because there's a lot of angst about how Memorial Day is celebrated and are people really um, recognizing um, fallen soldiers or are they just enjoying a day off? Right, mm-hmm. so there 
there's constantly a balance that we that um, communities and cultures are trying to navigate mm-hmm. um, with how 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 much of this do we do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I found that a thoroughly satisfying conversation. I thought I thought it was great. <laughs> as, as someone from a country with 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 a limited military military tradition, going to get angry angry emails from Irish I people had... now over my comments in the Irish military. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're good. Yeah. Um, you will hear from us again before Christmas, we I promise. promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks again to Peyton for keeping the blog alive. Definitely go to centertrail.com. We are so happy with the work that she's doing. Amos Tubbs' post is great. Tara, you had a great little post sh- sharing some of the classes you have coming up in the spring. Yeah. And Lots of good stuff there. And hopefully we will get back on our game. We have learned many things this semester. And as we keep <laughs> saying, one of the things we've learned is when we are both teaching three classes. Yeah. Um, and independent studies and things like that. Um, we have a harder time. We literally never find the time to sit in an office together to do this. Um, so... We will try better next time. (laughs) Um, But for now, we are grateful to have had time to talk with you, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. See ya. Bye.